From the Rock Church of the Bighorns in Sheridan, Wyoming, this is the Rock Church Podcast, where we discuss issues impacting our lives, our families, our communities, and the church from a Christian perspective. Now, here is your host and pastor of the Rock Church, Tri Robinson. All right, so hi, everybody. Uh, Here we are at the Rock Church Podcast, and today um, we have Jesse Zabrowski, fellow Rock Church member, um, and and we're going to talk a little bit about culture. Um, in particular, Jesse works for the Colson Center, um, which is uh, an organization that a guy, Chuck Colson, started. I'll let her tell you about it. But um, there's a book he wrote called How Now Shall We Live? It's one of my favorite books. I try to read it every year. And I'm going to turn it over to Jesse to t- tell us a little bit about the Colson Center and what's going on and what they're talking about these days. Sure. Thanks, Trey. Uh, so the Colson Center started way back um, after Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was um, convicted with Watergate. I don't know. History books go back and read more about Chuck and his life, but he was absolutely not a Christian before getting convicted of his crimes. And he went into prison. He had a life-changing experience, and he met Christ. And he, after that, got out and decided he was going to live differently. So his life really started right before he went into prison. He realized that's when he had his transformational experience, went into prison and really developed that sense of, I have to do something more for the culture. So How Now Shall We Live? Um, It's just a a very rich book. I mean, it's a book that could be six books. It's very long, but it's, there's so much in it that was almost prophetic in nature because of, and I say that lightly, but there was a lot of things that he was talking about looking forward to under our current culture that are now kind of unfolding and things that he had seen way back then that are now kind of transpiring. Yeah. And like we were talking, there's a, the, the book, How Now Shall We Live, was written from a book a guy named Francis Schaeffer wrote in the late 1800s. And he could see a shift in the culture and wrote a book, How Then Shall We Live, which Chuck wrote the book, How Now Shall We Live, that we've arrived at this place. And, and I think that we definitely are sitting in a place of the culture around us where we're like, wow, these guys were spot on, on a lot of levels, right? Very much so. And, you know, now at the Colson Center, so the Colson Center really takes what Chuck had as a vision and translates that now into different media platforms. So they're going to be out there. One uh, option that listeners can listen to is Breakpoint. Breakpoint's been around for a very long time, started out as a radio broadcast. And it was almost like the Paul Harvey show where you would just catch it and everybody had it on their radio and they would listen to their short, you know, daily testimonial type, you know, devotion thing from Chuck Colson. And now it's kind of over time evolved to the point where they're sending it out over social media, online platforms, and they've added more um, robust stuff. Um, one of them is actually called the Colson Fellows Program, and that's more dear to my heart. I did the Colson Fellows training So Chuck would take approximately 100 people every year and train them up in the way they shall live. And so he wanted to let them know, this is is not for the lighthearted. You're going to study really hard. You're going to learn everything there is to know about Christian worldview. You're going to come out living differently for Christ. And so 
He took about 100 of those people every year. Um, I was the C12 class, and so 12 years into the program, I took the course, and then they kind of took, so Chuck had passed a couple years before that, and so they kind of took a break, pause. We're now in the 16th class, mm. so that's my job is I work with all the alumni across the Colson Center and kind of prepare them and give them all the different stuff to, you know, kind of give them ways to think and challenge them a little bit. Cool. So. Well, culture is something that's really close to my heart, too. And, and, and just looking in at trying to think about how we can affect change uh, in the culture around us as the church. What what kind of conversations are you guys having, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question, Try. I think a lot of times um, right now it's easy to say that as the church we should just kind of accept our lot and back up and go into a shell, kind of like a turtle, mm -hmm. where we don't want to acknowledge the culture around us is easier to just deny it's happening and that we'll never face any persecution. They'll always be easy. And as long as we stick with our fellow church mates, all will be okay. But as we know, we can't just sit and like a turtle in its shell and not acknowledge the rest of culture that's going on. And so the Colson Center is really equipping people, equipping Christians with a new way of thinking and looking at it from the vantage point of we can't ignore culture. Culture is there. It's happening. We can't run from it. We have to go and save it. So mm -hmm. in the sense of what is our part? What should we be doing? Should we just sit and not engage ever? Um, or should we, how should we engage? I mean, I think that's the biggest question is a lot of Christians realize the need. They don't know the how. How do we engage culture? Sure, sure. And maybe we could talk about some of those things that culture is doing that sure. tends to shut Christians down. Things like woke culture or cancel culture and, and things that are happening around that actually make people actually even wonder if what they believe and what they feel, what their convictions are, are actually even right, or start to throw them into a place of feeling like, gosh, am I just way off? Am I, is my thinking wrong? Have I, am I uh, on the wrong side of history? Things like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard because here in the U.S. especially, we've never lived in a time of persecution. So we've never really experienced anything that's uncomfortable to us. It's always just been church is available. If I want it, I'll do it. And if I don't, that's fine. Um, it's also been the opinion that we were mostly Christian, that we were a Christian nation, and that as a Christian nation, we would just do the Christian thing. Well, right now we're not. It's not necessarily that. And I think the sifting and the shifting of culture in the United States is not necessarily one that's Christian-minded anymore. So right. I think... Um, where you bring up cancel culture, uh, just to define kind of what cancel culture is to the, the people that may not know, because it's just a term that gives, I, I, a lot of people don't necessarily understand, but it's, it's essentially like if you don't like what somebody's doing culturally and you don't like what they're saying, then you can just shut them down. So for instance, if, if I said the sky is blue, but everyone on social media decided that they wanted this guy to be red, they would hound me and hassle me and challenge me to a point where I was embarrassed and I would crawl back into my hole because mm -hmm. I had the nerve to say that the sky was blue mm -hmm. when they all thought it was red. 
So you can kind of see where that might lead to with Christianity. If, if you say something that you know and believe is true, according to your biblical standards, but the culture doesn't agree with that, they'll just cancel out what you have to say, so you'll go away. Right. So now instead of uh, Christians um, affecting the morality of the culture around us, we have the culture around us trying to define morality and voice it on Christians, right? And on Christian thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, um, they're dictating to us what the Bible is going to say yeah. and whether or not these biblical truths can be espoused. So we can't necessarily say this says this in the Bible and this is what we believe and that therefore it is moral. We believe it's moral, but they think that it may be condescending to them. They may think that it's intruding upon their rights, um, especially now because of individualism. People want everything. It has to be about me. And so if you're intruding and saying something that's untrue because I don't like what you're saying, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with you because I don't believe in your biblical truth. Mm-hmm. So your biblical truth can be yours, but you cannot, you cannot make that true for me. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah, and it, so it's interesting in a in a culture that would say it's tolerant, in a culture that would say that um, uh, truth is uh, relevant, that that whatever your truth is, that's cool because that's your truth. We we really don't see that, right? What we really see is that there's a predetermined morality, and unless we, in our expression of faith or or belief or thought, agree within those parameters, then there's there's backlash, right? Yeah, tolerance is really the word that we're supposed to tolerate any sort of behavior from the outside. That the the tolerance isn't necessarily according to our biblical morality. The tolerance is um, essentially what society and our culture around us deems as morale. Right. So right. we're not necessarily dictating what morality is anymore by a biblical standard. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how about woke culture? <laughs> yeah. What's up with this woke yeah. stuff? Yeah. So, so wokeness, that's the other thing that I think um, kind of needs some delineation between for Christians, because I think wokeness in itself, how do you know if you're woke or if you're part of that culture? And a lot of that, so wokeness in itself is essentially social awareness of racial injustices. And so a lot of that came up, this wokeness term came up with the riots and the um, Black Lives Matter. And, and as Christians, should we fundamentally be opposed or for? Do we know where we lie and why we believe what we believe? Um, especially when it comes to those situations. And I think... The hard thing is, is if you look at the Bible and again, use the only Bible as our our lens for viewing these things, you understand that, yes, we're for injustice and yes, we care about social causes and no, we're never for discrimination based on skin color. But when it becomes a problem is when they're asking us actually as part of our Christianity didn't denounce things that have happened in the past. So we almost want to rewrite biblical times, the Bible, and we want to rewrite history to make it something that we're apologizing for, sins of the past. That's when wokeness becomes wokeness. And so 
as Christians, we are being um, asked to renounce things that aren't true. So, for instance, we may look at something with Black Lives Matter where uh, the idea of Black Lives Matter and that we really want to encompass and embrace the Black family and we want to be for the African-American unit and that they're growing together as a family and the dad is the head of the household and they're all together, all of a sudden we're supposed to be replacing that where it's okay not to be a family unit. And so we're denouncing our biblical truths, right? Just by supporting something like a Black Lives Matter. Yes, all lives matter, but we still believe in the family unit. We still believe in dads and we believe in moms and we believe in kids. Right. Yeah. And we know that that's the solution, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the reality of, of so many of the, of the households that we're talking about is that we have absentee fathers mm-hmm. in about 75% of the homes. So the idea isn't that um, we can just make that okay and redefine it and say that all things are equal and all things are just as uh, equally valid and as good as one another. But the reality of it is, is it makes a difference if there's a dad in the home and a mom in the home. And, and, and out of that, that there's a family that flourishes in that thing. And that's God's prescription, but not what the, the world wants to, to talk about or acknowledge. What the world wants to do is, is take and, and recreate those, those structures into that anything goes and that it's all going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, (laughs) biblical truth. Yeah. We know God gave us warnings in the Bible and he told us how to live and he set up family units in a very beautiful way. And for us to now just continually deny what is inherent in his creation and just ignore some of those um, preset things for us and rewrite history. So it's comfortable for those people that may not want to live according to the biblical moralities, um, again, that's where our our culture becomes a little uncomfortable, right? Because we're yeah. espousing something that's different. We're saying family is important. Right. So. And, and even with history, uh, while, while we're not talking about, nor should we look at all events of history and say that they were fine or good, we should look at those and learn and keep them in place and intact so that future generations and ourselves can understand what happened and even how to navigate some of the pitfalls of history, right? Absolutely. There's moral failures all along the way. I mean, even if you, in the Bible, there's all kinds of people, the whole thing is full of sinners. So we're, we're learning all about their lives through a lens that helps us to interpret our own world. And so if we take away history and we ignore it altogether, we don't know what basis are we making any of these judgments except for the individual. The individual is deciding what is tolerable to them, and they're deciding what's important for our culture to understand. Hmm. And so if you have all these people around individually expressing themselves, who is right? Right. Right. That's the thing. Without um, an objective place of morality, we're only left to argue our position. And, and at the end of the day, and I think that this is what we're exactly seeing, is that the only way to resolve those issues is by power, because we have no common morality to go to. Each one says, well, this is mine and this is mine. And so really, we're just left at this place where the only way that we can come to any kind of resolution or conclusion about it is with a power struggle. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins, yeah, then they impose yeah. their morality on the other. 
Yeah. And it's interesting, Tribe, because there's always somebody, it's the oppressed and the oppressor. And there's two categories. And they talk, we talk a lot about this because there's always somebody that has to be more oppressed. So if you look at it, you may be a woman, but you're white, for instance. And I'm not trying to bring, but this is just an example. Um, you wouldn't be as oppressed as one, a woman that was black. Right. Um, and so there's always somebody that's in a worse situation that deserves more power. They're asking for more power because they feel like they're more oppressed. And so we're giving power to people um, and not necessarily in a good way. We're not we're not giving it in a kind, loving manner. We're giving it in a radical way where we're not loving them as our neighbor. We're not giving them biblical truth. We're allowing them to live according to world standards because we're afraid to oppressed. So I, I think that's the difference is, is Christian wise. We're supposed to love those people. We're supposed to chase after those people. Absolutely. Right. But not for the wrong reasons. Right. So. And this is, I think with Christians today, this, this is part of, of, of a real, um, gosh, I'm searching for the word. It's, it's, it, we find ourselves in a tension of like, being Christian, you know, like, like what, what's good? What, what is a good response to this? You know, and, you know, like I, I look at things a lot of times, like just even from the church perspective. And I know for a fact that sometimes when people come in and they have financial needs, sometimes the worst thing that we can do is to throw money at those problems because it solves nothing. It, it doesn't really address a problem. It, it's just kind of a temporary fix and it's not really loving. What's really loving is to give somebody a solution that's long lasting and that helps, you know, help them to budget or to, you know, make some financial decisions that are better. That's more loving than just throwing money at it. So it's just kind of a similar kind of a thing. And I feel uh, like, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing that we've kind of gotten to at the Colson Center where we're as a Christian, how do I know? How do I know what's right and what's wrong? And so we kind of came up. We didn't come up with there was actually in a book. Um, it, it was called um, Live Not by Lies, and that comes from historically Stoltzenitsyn. He was a um, prisoner in the gulags in Russia. And so he wrote this book. Later, um, I can go into a long thing about it, but ultimately he said that we can't live by a lie. So essentially, as a Christian, if we know something's untrue, we can't accept it as, as truth that in itself is standing up to culture. So does it mean that we're all supposed to be standing? We're all supposed to be standing on the, the edge of the, you know, a street with these signs and yelling and screaming and telling people or on Facebook, you're out there and you're like, well, I'm just going to tell that person. I'm going to tell them differently. Right. No, it, it, essentially, if you know, something's a lie, don't stand for it. That, that's really that simple is if you know your biblical truths and you know that it's wrong, then don't allow it. Hmm. And, and so we kind of broke it down in that book. The live not by lies is three words, a see, judge, act. Hmm. So actually see what's going on around AO and culture. Really see. Don't just read social media. Don't just turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever news source, but really know what's going on in culture then judge it according to your biblical principles and then act if you need to. Mm -hmm. And if you don't need to act, then don't yeah. act. But right. if you do, it's your calling to, to yeah. stand up in the culture and say, Hey, 
this is not biblically true. Yeah. So, you know, I think one thing too, as a, as a pastor, one thing I've noticed in this that I, I find a little bit troubling sometimes with Christians is, is that what I see us doing is sometimes just chasing the principles of Christianity and desiring the principles of Christianity within the culture that we live in. And don't get me wrong, we, we should want that. And I want that. And I want my kids to experience that. I think sometimes the question is, though, is how do you have that? And I think one thing that we've done, though, as Christians is we haven't been making disciples because that's how we change the culture. That's the recipe given to us by Jesus to really to change, to have the Christian principles in our culture is to make Christians uh multiplication, discipleship, those kinds of things. And, and so I think that that's another thing that as believers, we have to really say, we've got to get back to this. We, we've, we've got to make disciples because if we want to live in a different world, we really need God. We need Jesus to intervene and for him to make a difference in the world too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't I mean, live in your own bubble. You no. can't, you can't take your faith and independently just own it for yourself. We're, we're called to give this to the next generation. So whether or not that be in your family, make sure your family is doing everything that they can as a family unit. If you're a mom or a dad, and if you're not, then it's it's very important that you're talking to your neighbors or anyone in your circle. Or if you have people in the, the church, I think the fallacy is to think that you're never in a spot where you can mentor or you can mm-hmm. disciple. Mm-hmm. So you're always saying, oh, well, when I get this, I'll, I'll be more then. And, and so you keep putting it off, but... I think that a lot of Christians just don't understand what they have to offer to somebody else, even if it's just a friendship and you kind of right. grow together. Right. I think that walking beside each other is super important right now. Right. So, yes, <laughs> disciples. <laughs> and I, I think as we move forward in maybe a culture that's, I think, undoubtedly and is going to undoubtedly become more and more um, counter-Christian, in its approach and its nature and its acceptance, that it's even more important that we don't shrink back from that, but that we engage that and we engage that by relationships and by loving into our community and, and doing those things in a way that challenges the people out there to go, well, gosh, what do they really believe? Because I hear this about them on social media or whatever, but then I see this from them. So it's just really crucial. We have to look differently than the culture. If yes. we look the same as culture, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. So people need to look at us and say, they're a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, we've been using the, the term radically Christian lately, because if you think of some of the religions where you're radically something, then you may go and blow up something, right? right. But a radical Christian isn't something that's bad. Somebody that's radically Christian is going out there and they're loving people Mm. and they're discipling people and they're after people. And so we want to be radically Christian where we're not the ordinary and we're living so differently counterculturally that it's not necessarily, again, that we're not out there with our bullhorns beating people over the head with our viewpoints. And like you were saying, it's not something that we want to make sure everybody knows that they're wrong and we're right. But loving them and walking beside them and showing them a different way. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So before we go, what what are you hearing? What what are the people? There's a lot of smart people at the Colson Center. Um, I know that. Is there anything? What are they saying? What are they saying? What are they? What are their thoughts on where where we're headed? Sure. Yeah. No. Much smarter than I am. I I listen with intrigue every week. I think. Um, we know how the story ends. Right. And so there's no fear. Right. 
but there is an, an anxiousness among, amongst everybody saying that we're in for something tough. We need to buckle down. We need to know where we stand biblically because we're about ready to get shaken. And I think as Christians, that's a call to action, right? I mean, we shouldn't shirk, shriek at that and say, oh, I don't want that. We should be like the firemen running into the building to save people because we realize that we have our salvation or we're equipped to go, Mm -hmm. but other people are not. And so it just makes us really... um, excited in some ways because it's here. I like that. I like that. I think we should be excited at the times that we live in, you know, Um, and and to remember too, that we were placed here at this time on purpose to be in this culture and to, um, to live in it. And that's, that's a really, I think when we have the right perspective, that's a, that's a super exciting thought, you know, that we're here on purpose. One of these days you may have an angel that says, tell me what it was like to live then. Yeah there yeah. and then, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, it's, we should be excited. I think, I think so too. Well, I think yeah. we need to wrap up. Um, but I would, we need to do this again, I think, cause we just touched the surface of Very this. Much so, and, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot to this. I could actually talk about this all day long. So, um, and yeah. I do a lot of these, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of unpacking and, and there's just so much to it. But I think at the end of the day, just the opportunity of the church to be the church and to know that, we're all one body and we're equipped and we're together that we're all in this together. And it is an exciting time. So stepping forward together is exciting to me. Awesome. So, yeah. I like it. Thanks, yeah. Jesse. Thanks, Trey. Thanks for joining us. And um, like I said, we'll, we'll, we're going to, we'll get back together on this. We'll do a part two here coming up sometime and uh, we'll continue this conversation. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this podcast informational, uplifting, and inspiring. Please join us next time. And until we meet again, be blessed. If you'd like more information about the Rock Church of the Bighorns, please visit our website at www.bighornrock.com.